All right, the title of my sermon today is The Wall is Complete, But the Attacks of Satan Do Not Cease. Uh, And uh, this is part of our ongoing life as Christians. And what I want to say to you, apropos of this, is that so many of you were part of the effort to do uh, the boxes for Samaritan's Purse. And I want to tell you, that was building a wall. You came with a brick. You put a brick there. Uh, And so God honors that. We came together. We were unified as a church. God sanctifies this effort uh, as a church. But even as the wall is complete, as the wall is finished, we do what God has told us to do. Satan never stops. And so we're going to learn today the various tactics that Satan will use even when the wall is complete. Uh, And so now the wall is complete in Jerusalem. Nehemiah has completed his task. But now let's take a look at Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt a wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I love this guy. This guy is my hero. All right? They've done everything to destroy him. They've attacked him. They've mocked him. They've laughed at him. Uh, They've incriminated him. And yet this guy never stops. So now what? You know what? Why don't we come together and sit down together? We can come together. We can be friends. Well, we can have a settlement. You know, this reminds me, as I'm thinking right now, as as God is speaking in my heart because I didn't prepare it, this reminds me of when the wise men came to Herod. Do you remember? On their way to find uh, Jesus when he was born. And they needed directions. uh, And uh, uh, Herod's wise men told them where Bethlehem was. And then he gave them these parting words. When you find him, come back and let me know so that I can go and worship him. Remember that? This is exactly what Satan does. Let me go and worship him. Yeah, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to destroy all the two-year-olds and under in Bethlehem, which he would do. This is how Satan works. And so let me assure you that when you're working for God, when you're doing the work of God, Satan at some point is going to suggest compromise. Let's talk. Let's get together. You don't need to be so hard-hearted. We can find a way to mediate this. And this is what Satan will do for people who are advancing the work of the the Lord. No longer are the enemies laughing. No longer are they mocking. No longer are they attacking. Why? Because the wall is built. It's done. Now we've got to find another way. Uh, And I'm so impressed with the response of Nehemiah here. Uh, His response, first of all, is I'm involved in a great work. What a testimony that is. That's what you need to say to the world. I'm involved in a great work. I'm working for God. I am a messenger of the Lord, the creator of the universe. I'm doing his work. Uh, And he is emphasizing the fact that what he's working on is holy and and glorious. 
Uh, and this is what we need to remember as we work for the Lord. This is the call that you have on your life. You're not doing your own thing. You're doing his thing when he calls you in so many ways. And remember that. And so the enemy would like to make us doubt by thinking that the authenticity of what we're doing is not really his thing. It's your thing. That's, that's how he does this, uh, and he'll try to do this. And there's a great lesson in the Bible that speaks to my heart on this, and it's the lesson of Simeon, uh, who was there waiting for decades for the Messiah to be brought forth uh, to the temple of God uh, because God had promised Simeon that he would not die uh, before he would see the Messiah. Uh, and you'll see this in Luke chapter 2. We'll put the words shortly on the board. After waiting all his life, the Spirit led him to the temple. And I'm sure he said, this is it. He must have thought, I will now see the Messiah. I imagine that he thought some great warrior would come in. He would march in. There would be a parade. This is what it was all about. This is, I can't, I can't believe I'm going to see it. And I would see it. But what happens? Instead, this very simple, humble impoverished couple would come in holding this baby. Uh, and so he took the baby. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 28 to 33, you see what happens when God speaks to us and demonstrates his authenticity. This is why you waited. This is what it means to be a servant of God. And he says there uh, in those verses, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon said. It means sometimes even the participants don't fully understand the full glory of God. Not only was Jesus coming to save Israel, he was coming to save the entire world. And there he was in that little baby being presented in a temple. And Simeon, who had waited all his life, now God demonstrated his loyalty and authenticity. Yes, Simeon, yes, this is an authentic work of God. Yes, this is what you were called to do, to pray and wait, and now you have done so. Uh, and this is precisely, you see, how God wants us to act when he convicts us to advance the work of the kingdom of God. This is exactly how he wants. You may not fully understand where you are going with it. You may not fully understand what your particular brick is, but when God inspires you, you move forward knowing it is the work of God. It is authentic in every way. And you see this in the way that Nehemiah advanced the kingdom of God. He bowed his head, and he knew this is what the work of God was. And it didn't matter what Satan would do, what the attacks of Satan would be about. He had a single-mindedness of purpose. I'm marching forward. I will not in any way uh, be deviated from this work. Now, the one critical quality that's necessary, the one critical quality that's necessary in order to walk this way and to do the work of God uh, is faith, you see? Faith. Faith in God. Faith in who God is. Faith in the call that God has put on you. Faith. 
Uh, and and uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, that's the nature of faith. You don't see God, you don't feel God, but you know God. He has put his Holy Spirit within your heart, and he communicates with you. And so in that line, in that way, your faith tells you you're walking out for God. You are demonstrating who God is. As you know, that other great verse in Hebrew says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. I love that verse. The substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things unseen. And that's how we live. That's how we walk as he calls us to do his work. Every single one of you has this call in every way. And so Nehemiah did not want to go down and meet with his enemies. The enemy wants to eat up your time. You understand? They're not interested in advancing the work of God. They're not even interested in compromise. What they want to do is to get you to stop, get you off your game plan, put you away, all right? Uh, and these people will eat up your time in futile meetings. And I've had to learn this in my life, that often I get calls from people uh, who seemingly have some interest uh, in some tangential aspect of, of uh, work, uh, and I pray about it, and often God gives me the discernment, don't go there, John. Don't do there. Don't get involved with this. This is not going to advance the kingdom of God. God called me to be the pastor of this church. That's the call of God. I cannot lose my perspective in that regard. I can't get involved in myriad other things. All right? This is the principal call on, on my life. And I would say the same is for you. You have a principal call on your life. Satan would like nothing better than to divert your attention from the principal call on your life. Uh, and so these people have no intention of changing their minds. You know that Jesus told, uh, spoke to us and Lent about this when he sent his disciples out and he said, if you come across people that don't uh, treat you and are not interested in the gospel, what do you do? Do you sit and debate? You have some meetings? Let's have some meetings. No, what did Jesus say? Shake the dust off your feet. Effectively, that's what Nehemiah was doing, even though he's doing it 500 years before Christ would be born. Shake the dust off your feet. Uh, and this is a message that I think we all need to understand as we work in a world that's full of satanic influence in every possible way. Sanballat was not interested in restoration. Uh, he was interested in distracting the work of God to get the, the people of God off their game plan. He wanted to stop the kingdom of God in any way that he could. Uh, and so he sent this message four times. By the way, they're very persistent. Okay, you'll notice this. Don't think it's going to be a one-time invitation. And it's, no, 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 no. You're going to get multiple invitations. Multiple invitations. And you have to be prepared because you have to recognize this is the work of Satan. This is what he's going to want you to do. Get off your purposefulness. Now, notice how, as you study this and, and read through this chapter, notice how the enemy changes tactics when the first one doesn't work. And he's great at this. 
okay? It's not like he has only one way to do things. He has a thousand ways to do things, all right? And so when the first one doesn't work, he's got another one lined up. And so when negotiation failed, uh, Sambalot resorted back to incrimination. And Satan is really good at incrimination, really good at getting you to doubt your calling, really good at elevating your lack of self-esteem. And so Sanballat sends out a letter, an open letter to all of the people of of Jerusalem and the surrounding towns, uh, and he accuses Nehemiah of aspiring to be king. You, look at this man. He's interested in elevating himself. This is all about him. He's a narcissist. He's not interested in doing the work of God. He's interested in elevating himself. Have you ever heard this about yourself? Have you ever had people say to you, you, come on, what is this? Do you, do you think you're holy? You're not holy. You think you're, you're, you're advancing God's work? You're just interested in promoting yourself. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say that to me. And I just had to look ahead to the cross and let this stuff deflect off me. Uh, Because you see, this is how Satan works. He's not going to comment and elevate you in any way. I told you that the fact that I had been on on the radio in 50 states, uh, I never had my prior church affirm me about that, never say anything uh, good about that, never never uh, say to me, this is wonderful work. They weren't interested in it. Now, they're good people, but you understand, even good people fall short of the mark, all right, and can become tools of Satan. They can become tools of Satan. So don't say, don't think that God, that you're going to be pr- uh, praised. Oh, Joe, you're good. I saw you bring 180 Samaritan boxes. I saw you make 100 dresses. I saw you give thousands of dollars. No. None of that is ever going to be praised. None of that is. The only where you're going to hear praise like that is when we come together in this church, when your church family recognizes what you've done. That's the purpose of the church family, where there will be a place where you are safe and secure and where you will be guaranteed affirmation. Uh, And so you see this, and so again, Nehemiah brushes this aside. Uh, And so uh, again, now now he he tries to incriminate him. Uh, And now he tries again to say you are a narcissist. Uh, You're only looking to elevate yourself. But again, he says, let me get this job done. Don't let me distract it. I love, I love this prayer. He said, strengthen my hands, Lord. Let me get this job done. What a great prayer warrior. Strengthen my hands, Father. Let me finish the work. Don't let me stop in any way. Don't let me stop. And even yet, the enemy would not stop. Wouldn't you think it's enough? Wouldn't you think you've attacked, you've mocked, you've ridiculed, uh, you've incriminated, you've tried to negotiate? Stop it! No. 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 I'll never stop. I'll never stop. Uh, That's effectively what what Satan says. And so, again, a seemingly spiritual man, and notice the word seemingly uh, is the adjective I use that, a seemingly spiritual man advises Nehemiah that he should hide out in the temple. You need to hide out in the temple. Look at Nehemiah 
uh, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabel, who was, easy for me to say, by the way, who, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I will not go. How about this? A putative religious leader says, we need to go and put you in the temple. Sounds good. We'll go into the holy place because they're going to come and kill you and you'll hide out uh, in the temple. And you know, Jesus spoke about false prophets uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in Matthew uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are false prophets all over the television. All right? If you watch any of these televangelists, the vast majority of them, I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, many are good, many are good, but you'll always hear, and here's the key, when it comes down to the fact that your blessings are dependent upon the amount of money you send in, okay, and that's typically what you're going to see, the more money you send in, the more blessings you're going to get, and I can say this because some of them say it, because you know what, I need to have that Gulfstream jet, you understand? I need to have a Gulfstream jet. It's important for me. God wants to bless me so that I can use it to advance the kingdom of God. Really, honestly, please. And so you see it here. This is a false prophet. This is what happens. Why don't we, and he's being inspired by Satan, go out and hide in the temple. Now here's the key. Satan wants to isolate you. You understand? He doesn't want you to come together like you're here today. He wants to set you apart because here's the key. When you separate that sheep from the fold, that's the sheep that's going to be picked off. That's the one the wolves are going to go after. So you can never be isolated. When somebody looks to you and speaks to you about isolating yourself from the people of God, be mindful of the fact that, again, is a tactic of Satan. Uh, and this is just as true today as it was 2,500 years ago. Uh, Nehemiah rightfully perceived this. <clears throat> and this is what God has given all of you. God has given you through the Holy Spirit the, per the ability to perceive, to have perception, to have spiritual perception. And this is what you need to have as you pray to God. Lord, help me to perceive what is a godly message, who is a godly messenger of yours, but who is a fake, who is not godly, who is not trying to advance the kingdom of God, but instead is trying to advance his own agenda. And so he rightfully perceived that this prophecy was not from God. And he was absolutely correct. Because we find out that, that this man had sold out to the enemy. They had paid him. They had paid him to come up with this phony prophecy looking to find a way 
to isolate Nehemiah. Look, they didn't want Nehemiah elevating the people. They didn't want Nehemiah sanctifying the people, praying with the people. They wanted him locked up in the temple. Where's our leader, Lord? Well, he's hiding in the temple. Can you imagine? What kind of leader is that? The leader should be on the front line inspiring the people. All right? Not afraid of his life because God controls his life. Not afraid of what he's going to say. And he understood this. It's such a powerful way. Uh, and so pray for discernment because, again, you're going to need it. Because sometimes it's going to make you look a little hard. All right? As God is going to give you discernment to separate yourself from certain people. Because God is telling you they are not advancing the kingdom of God. Be wary. Remember this message. Uh, and so follow the example of Nehemiah and just keep moving forward. Now look at verses 15 and 16, and there it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. I am astonished that they could complete this wall in 52 days. You know, I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen it. I've seen just parts of the wall. The wall is enormous. And, and, and to think that he got thousands of people in all kinds of uh, professions to come together and do this, and God wanted it done, and they did it in 52 days. And I told you that this is critically important because first God was unifying and sanctifying the people of Jerusalem, recognizing that he was their God, and secondly, the clock was ticking. The clock was ticking because we knew that in 173 thousand days based on the prophecy of Daniel that was that was written about 125 years earlier that upon the completion of that wall 173,000 days after that Jesus would walk in on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem that was the chronology now you see how God works it's all interdependent the wall had to be built. Jerusalem had to be protected. They had needed to see who their God was. And so Nehemiah goes down as a great man, uh, be, not because he's perfect, but because he persevered for the work of God uh, in so many ways. Listen, as I told you, this, is, this man's legacy will live forever. But understand something. Your legacy can be just as important. Think about the farmer who gave the gospel to Billy Graham over the back fence of the Graham property. Billy Graham didn't know who God was. And then this simple farmer reached over, gave him the gospel that would change his life forever and change the course of this world as Billy Graham, the greatest modern evangelist, would come to present the gospel to millions of people. You have no idea how important your work will be in the sight of God, how God will use you use you for a mighty purpose. Uh, and so this, these are important lessons for us. As you see, 2,500 years ago, a band of battered people uh, faced up to the embarrassing evidence of their past, their sin and desolation of the past, uh, and came together to resist the attacks of Satan, resist the attacks of their enemy, uh, and completed the wall. And as I said to you, this is not merely the rebuilding of a physical wall. It is the rebuilding of a spiritual wall as well.
In other words, their lives were being rebuilt. Their spirits were being rebuilt. God was calling them back into the kingdom of God. And he did it through the physical rebuilding of the wall. So Nehemiah, you see, is this story, but he is also in your story as well. Uh, Because you see, this is how the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, teaches us to worship, uh, and empowers us to overcome the attacks of the enemy every day in our life. This is how we will all rebuild the ruined walls of ourselves, of our families, of our friends. This is how we will be part of the work of God doing this spiritual rebuilding. Uh, God is teaching us and showing us, and this is what we will do. Now, when the wall was completed, there was a great celebration. You can imagine. I mean, Jerusalem was bereft for 125 years. It was nothing. Uh, Now the wall is completed. The people are safe. They've come together. They've unified together. There's a tremendous celebration. Uh, But we see something significant in Nehemiah chapter 9. We see that the celebration is replaced, really, uh, by humiliation uh, and by confessing. And so we see the, the feasting turning to fasting. And this is an important lesson as well. Did God call the people to fast? No. Did he call them to confess rather than celebrate? No, he didn't. Well, what happened? What happened? What happens is this. Is when we as a people put ourselves together, bow before God, commit ourselves to the work of God, advance in the work of God, we get closer to the cross of Christ. And as we get closer to the cross of Christ, we come closer to see the true holiness and righteousness of of God, and you cannot be kept in the way you were before when you see the glory of God. You understand? It's not the same old game. You can't sit there and celebrate. Instead, you bow and you put your face in the dust. Father, forgive me. I am an unclean man. Lord, forgive me. Forgive my people for hundreds of years of sin. And there's an important spiritual insight in this for us today. The Lord calls us to have joy, yes, and experience his goodness, yes, uh, and to bask in that goodness. But when we draw closer, we see the true living God. And I see that image in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, as the prophet saw the picture of the cherubim uh, around the covenant of God. Uh, And looking at them, and what did he say? Woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. You see, that's what happens. That's what happens when you're drawn closer to God. And that's what this is about. Similarly, when Peter realized that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, he fell to his knees. uh, And he said in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. You see, understand? This is what happens when you come face to face with God. And this is what happens when you advance the kingdom of God and walk with God and sanctify yourself and pray. Yes, you're happy. Yes, you're feasting. But what happens? Ultimately, you see God. 
And when you see God, you can never be the same. You can never be the same. And so you bow and ask for forgiveness. And, and look here as how the people, I love the way the people repented of their sins. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 3. Recognize this is on the heels of one of the great feats of modern Israel, the rebuilding of this wall. All these disparate people coming together. And now look what they say here in verses 1 to 3 in chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Note that. Not just their own sins, but the sins of their ancestors that had gone on for 200 years before. All right? Uh, and they stood where they were and read from the book of the law. They read the commandments. Uh, and for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter of the day in confession and worshiping the law. I mean, what, what an amazing situation. God didn't tell them they had to do it. That wasn't a command. But you understand under the inspiration of seeing who God is, recognizing the mighty hand of God, they were called to do it. And so in the midst of rejoicing and renewal, in every possible way, the people recognized their need for repentance. And let me say this as lovingly as I can say it. There are churches all over America that need to do this. There are churches all over America that need to bow their knees and ask for repentance. Every single church needs to do it. All of us has to ask God to forgive us as we recognize what we've done in our lives and how we get closer to him. Uh, and, and we need to do it. So many times people think that, that if we confess our sins, God will show extra goodness to us. Actually, it's the reverse of this. All right? Uh, it's God's goodness and kindness and righteousness in your life that draws you to confession. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, forgive me. I am an unclean man. And so you see it here with these people. And so here, after the people celebrated uh, uh, the grace and generosity of God, um, rejoiced in his love uh, and righteousness, confession is the natural result. And so let me assure you, as God calls you to do his will, as you come forward with his bricks, as you withstand the attacks of Satan, as you come together in a sanctified state, the ultimate act will be repentance and confession as he elevates you and lifts you up and calls you to even greater section. Uh, in a moving section of scripture, they open up their hearts of, to God. Look at uh, verses 32 to 34. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention 
to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. You understand it. These people went back and looked at the past several hundred years. They saw the desolation of the country. They saw the captivity uh, of the people of Israel taken out to Babylon. The country wrecked. The, the walls wrecked. The temple wrecked. The Ark of the Covenant, Covenant taken out. And instead of having recrimination against God, how could you do it? Do you see what happens? Lord, we deserved it. Lord, we didn't follow your law. Our ancestors sinned against you. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It convicts you. And you get on your knees and you ask for repentance. Uh, and so they recognize, yes, we've been in captivity for 150, 175, 200 years, but we deserved it. Lord, forgive us. Uh, and so they recognize that God had been good to them, patient to them. Uh, and loving them. And so what a great story this is, that through one man, as we've seen it now for five weeks, God rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. But even more than that, he rebuilt the walls of the people. He rebuilt the hearts of the people. These were people that didn't know God before Nehemiah came there and, and rebuilt the wall, but now they were worshiping him and confessing their sins and repenting. Uh, this is a mighty story as you see that. And from this day, 173,000 days later, Jesus Christ would walk in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday because the wall had been completed on the timeline that God had decreed. Uh, what a mighty story. And so uh, you never know how important the work is that God has called you to do. You never know how far it will go, how many people it will affect. And my message to you today is that each of us come to an understanding that God has a special purpose in all your lives. He's not calling you to do what I'm doing. I, I'm not called to do what you're doing. But each of us has a separate call. And I ask you today to think of yourself as Nehemiah. Become little Nehemiahs in every way. Be the Nehemiah of your family, of your friends, of your country club, of your associates. Yes, you can be the Nehemiah of all these people, the person who comes and is a leader and inspires people to work for the kingdom of God. It's been a mighty story. We thank God. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this great man. I thank you that you called him. I thank you for the example of his life today, Lord, that, that resonates with us. My prayer, Father, is that each of us today would leave here connected to you in an even more powerful way, that we look to be sanctified for you, to reach out to you and work for you, for your kingdom, Father, as you elevate us and anoint us and give us wisdom in every way. So, Father, let not one of us leave here today unchanged. Let each of us, as we come closer to the cross of Christ, as we get a vision of who you are, God, bow on our knees and be changed forever. Because we cannot. Woe is me, Lord, I am unclean. Yes, yes. But on my touch, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you shall be clean forever. Amen, church. Amen.